0: when you think of Jesus as the one that is the way maker and then you sing about the powerful name of Jesus it and you know what I confess to fears in my life all the time I have them all the time but it makes me wonder why I would fear anything when we have someone like Jesus Christ who is so eternally powerful not just on our side but inside of us right church hey go ahead and have a seat and uh, as you have your seat Why don't you go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 2 as we get into this. Um, And as you're turning, I have a couple of things that I'd like to lay before you. Um, My question is, where do you think people find their self-worth? And so when I think about that, um, we don't need psychology today. I I bet if I said the church right now. Where where are the things, where are the areas in your life that you find your self-worth? They would probably come pretty close to matching what most anyone would have to say. But anyhow, I looked at what Amy Morin, who is an author, and she's a licensed clinical psychologist. Um, she wrote an article for Psychology Today called, How Do You Measure Your Self-worth? And she gave the top five um, ways that... She, that, that according to her study, she has found these places where people find their self worth. And I wonder where how you can relate to any one of these. I bet you can. I bet you can. Here's the first one, appearance. You're dependent your self-worth is dependent on what the scale tells you every morning when you step on the scale. That's where you find your self worth. Or what you look like. You're only as good as you look the media would have you to believe. And there are so many marketing strategies that target the insecurities of mankind to help them go after their self-worth appearance. Net worth. Number two, people measure their self-worth based on their net worth, their income, their material possessions, the value they find in the things they have and the money they can make. That's not just for the wealthy, though. That's for the middle class. It's for the, those that are less, less privileged as they rack up credit card debt, trying to present themselves as someone that is of value. Net worth is, a, is the second one. The third is who you know, the, the person that's the name dropper. Um, need to be, I need to be in a relationship with someone because that's how I find worth and value is being in relationship with, with different people. Maybe, like I put that in front of those of you who are single right now, maybe you find value in even the simple thought of being in relationship with someone. I sat at a conference one time, and, uh, and the host of this conference, it wasn't his turn to speak, but... Uh, He took his seat in the crowd and it was very interesting to me as the, as we worshiped and as the other speaker, um, delivered his message. I watched this individual that sat directly in front of me and his head was constantly turning to look at the individual that was the host of the conference. He was consumed with this individual, so much so that I would say 80 to 90 percent of the time, he was not engaged with what was going on on stage. He was engaged with what was going on in the seat of that individual. He He was consumed with that individual. Who you know, name droppers, what you know, career. How often is it your third question into meeting someone is, what do you do for a living? People find their value in what they do. Their career reinforces to them that they are somebody. Some people find their value, and this is the last one, this is number five, in what you achieve. Sometimes people want to be known solely for their achievement, they brag about their latest success. They look to the things that they are capable of doing to present to others, this is who I am. And they, they find their, their self-worth based on what they are able to achieve. And so again, we don't need psychology today to tell us where we find our self-worth. And so I ask you the question right now, can you relate to any one of those? Maybe there is an area of your life where you find self-worth that's not even listed. Maybe it's the way your house looks. Maybe it's the way you personally present yourself. Maybe it's the way you present your car, your yard, your whatever. What is it about you? Where do you personally look to find your self-worth? Here's my confession. It's my appearance, number one. Number two, it's uh, achievement. Number two is achievement. And it's, you know what, I stand on stage before you once a month or once every three weeks or whatever it is, and here's what I know, your eye level with my shoes. And so I know my shoes can't be a distraction to you, and guess what I just did, I made them a distraction to you. So you're going to be looking at my shoes the rest of the service, aren't you? But it is, it's like I am concerned with what, how I would present myself to you as it relates to the way I look. I had my son recently tell me if you colored your beard, you would look younger. And so then guess what I think? If I colored my beard, I would look younger. Why do I even care to look younger? Psychology today says this about all of those things. They are the trappings of mankind. They have their own answers for it. But I believe we have a better answer for it, and we're going to address that today. Let me ask you this question, though. Who do you let determine your self-worth? Who do you let determine it? Is it you? Maybe you are someone, maybe you're an individual that doesn't even care what other people think. You just find satisfaction. You find value in who you are and what you're able to do. Doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. I am satisfied with who I am, and I don't need anyone else to tell me what I'm good at and what I'm not, what I'm not good at. I believe in myself that much. Maybe you are one that lets others determine your value. You're not satisfied if others are not pleased with you, and so you spend all your time working in such a way that you find value added to your life based on what other people would think of you. Let me ask you two more big questions, really big. I'm going to pause as you think about this. Ask yourself this question, who am I? Who am I? Number two, why am I? Who am I and why am I? When I ask you the question, who am I? What is the first thought that comes to your mind? First thought. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you know your answer should be I am a Christian. I am an individual that is saved by the grace of God and he is the one I served and serve and he is the one I find myself worth in. But maybe that's not the first thing that comes to your mind. Maybe it's I'm a parent. That's who I am and my desire right now. The place I find myself worth is my kids being well behaved and presenting themselves well in public. That I'm raising them to be, to be productive, young, godly men and women in our society. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe you're a business owner, or maybe you, are, you find yourself in a position of leadership in your workplace. Hey, this is who I am. And I am determined to be the best I can be. Who are you and why are you? Who you see yourself being will drive why you do what you do. These are pretty simple thoughts and a thought process for us to work through. Who are you? Philippians chapter 1 verse 27 says this, that we are to let our lives, only let our lives, your life, let me start this over, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that brings us to today's passage. And when I read through Philippians chapter 2 verses 19 to 20 or excuse me 19 to 30. I read this passage and I'm like even even and I'm not a great theologian so I'm not putting myself in their in their camp. But even the greatest theologians say when they come to this it feels like a it feels like kind of a pause because there's no real Obvious, deep theological meaning that comes out of hey, Paul saying hey, I'm going to send Timothy. I hope to send Timothy to you. And he says a few things about who Timothy is, his proven worth. He's one. He is a son to me. He has served with me side by side in the gospel. He's concerned with the interests of everyone else, not his own. He is valuable to me, and I'm sending him to you. And then we go to Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, he's a fellow worker. He's a soldier. He's a guy that nearly gave his life for the sake and the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He nearly died. So honor him. And I'm like, when you count the theological significance of chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 18, you're like, how does this fit into it? And here's what I've concluded. I believe the Apostle Paul is saying in these 11 verses, I present to you two individuals I'm presenting to you two individuals that are excellent examples of chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 18. And I want you to consider their life. They are two individuals that say, that have, have revealed their proven worth, is that their lives have been such that they are expressing the worth of the gospel of Jesus Christ in their lives two living examples Jesus says this and this is a this is a I believe these two individuals are a testament to what Jesus said to the disciples in John chapter 15 He's talking about himself being the vine and that we are the branches and in John 15:8 he says this by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Timothy's life and Epaphroditus' life are clear examples of individuals who have proven to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And so as we get into this passage, let's pray together. Father in heaven, what what an incredible thing it is to lay your word open on our laps. Lord, to think through what it means to consider self-worth and where we would even find that. Lord Jesus, by the might and the power of your Holy Spirit that is in us, that you have granted to us at the moment we come into relationship with you, may, by your Holy Spirit's power, you declare your amazing truth to us today as we work through your word. Thank you for these examples, for Paul's words your words through Paul thank you for the life of Timothy the life of Epaphroditus we pray this in Jesus name amen let's read it together philippians 2:19 to 30 he says i hope in the lord jesus to send timothy to you soon so that i too may be cheered by the news of you for i have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, Receive him in the Lord Jesus, or receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. We have two individuals, Timothy and Epaphroditus, whose lives exemplified the person of Jesus Christ, the gospel message. And so, here we go. Here we go, church. Where gospel worth begins where gospel worth begins. I got hung up on Paul saying about Timothy, his proven worth, his proven worth. And as I wrestled over this passage, and considering chapters 1 and the fullness of chapter 2, Timothy's proven worth had to start somewhere. And it didn't start with him serving Jesus it didn't start with him working side by side with Paul for the sake of the gospel. It had to start someone else, somewhere else. And so here it is. It didn't begin. It doesn't begin with service. It begins with salvation. When I read the Word of God and when I preach the Word of God, when I deliver it, I want to make absolutely sure I'm not adding anything to it. I want to make sure I am not preaching it in such a way that I'm communicating my own message. I'm not not trying to shoehorn a message in, in this moment. Because when you look at this passage, when you look at what Paul says about Timothy and Epaphroditus, it's easy to miss where it actually began. And so, where it began is not simply implied in the passage it's not simply assumed in the passage coming from the mouth and the heart of the apostle paul it's a given it's a given it's a given that timothy and epaphroditus their ministry began at the moment of salvation it's a given timothy look at verse 22 but you know timothy's proven worth how is a son with a father Now we know that Timothy was not Paul's son by birth, but we know he was a son to him in the faith. And so Paul calls him his son. You know, Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. You see Timothy serving with Paul in the gospel message. Let's look at Epaphroditus before we move on with this, this thought. In verse 25 and then 30, Paul calls him my brother. Well, they weren't blood, bro- blood brothers, but we know this. They were brothers in Jesus Christ. And so Paul, whom we know is saved, calls him his brother. He nearly died. For what? For the work of Christ. He risked his life for the sake of Jesus Christ and what he would have him to do. For real. Now think about this. Think about what you know about who Jesus Christ is and what the gospel requires of individuals. That we would take up our cross daily and that we would follow Him. Who's going to do that if they're not in relationship with Jesus Christ? No one is going to do that. You think about what is required as you take up your cross daily. And Jesus Christ asks you to serve Him in every moment of every day, with every breath, in every step you take, he's saying, I want you to serve me before you serve yourself and before you serve others. Serve me. This is what he's saying. Think about it in this, from this perspective. Imagine you're standing at the face of a 3,000-foot granite sheer cliff. Called El Capitan. Remember this? By the way, I just learned on Friday a man who was free climbing without ropes fell a thousand feet to his death. It's dangerous. And at the top of this cliff is an elixir right now that is going to save your family's life. And you're given one day to climb to the top, no ropes just what you have on you. You're given one day to climb to the top and get that elixir to save your family. I guarantee you this. You will do what Epaphroditus did and you will risk your life in order to save your family to climb to the top and grab that elixir and come down and give to them to save their life. Now, let's suppose you're presented with the same challenge except you have a family that you have no idea who they are. How compelling is it for you to risk your life to save someone you don't know? It's quite different when it's your family's life and when it's someone else's life that you would risk your own to climb to the top and pick up that elixir to save your family or someone else's. That's what we see here. Our worth does not begin by what we do. It begins by who we are and whose family we are in. Ephesians 2, verse 10 says this, For we are His workmanship. Christ has created us. He has made us. In Christ Jesus, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in Him. In Christ Jesus is where it begins. In Christ Jesus is where it begins. Your self-worth is not determined. Your gospel worth is not determined first and foremost by what you do. It begins with who you are. And so here's a true test of that. What are you going to do in the last day when you stand before Jesus? I love to ask this of people because it really does show where they find their worth and their value. When you're standing before Jesus at the end, and let's say he phrases it like this, why should I let you into my kingdom? What's your answer going to be? Guess what I hear more often than not? Even by those who claim Christ. Well, I would hope that I lived my life in such a way that Jesus would be pleased with me. That is not the answer. Here's what you've just said. My relationship with Jesus Christ is dependent on what I do for him, not on what he did for me. It begins with salvation. Your gospel worth begins with salvation. What matters most in life is who we are in Christ. And then, and then, what we do for Christ. Gospel worth begins at salvation. So let me ask you this as you think about your relationship with Christ, do you feel like a failure? Do you feel like you add value to the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ? where do you find your value listen when i think about that list of when i think about that list of places where we find our self worth here's where my head goes my dad worked the same job for 45 years before he retired here was me, graduate college, I have one job for a year and a half, I have another job for nine months, and then I finally settled into a job for five and a half years, and I, and I quit, and I went back to school, and I got my second degree in education, and then after that I went and I substituted for a year, and I couldn't get a job teaching, and so then, so then what did I do? Well, I had a guy offer me a job in construction, and that was great, so I did that for, I did that for three years, and then finally the Lord calls me into ministry, which I've been for the last 12 to 13 years. If I am not careful, I let my self-worth be determined by what I do. And that's not what Jesus has for me, and it's not what he has for you. I want to find my self-worth in a committed job like my dad. He was a great example of a man who worked hard all of his life, right up into retirement. He's still working hard. Committed to the same place. And so that's what I thought worth was. Gospel worth begins at salvation. And so, where do you stand right now as it relates to who Jesus Christ is? Lay service aside. Lay service aside. Do you feel valued by Jesus? Let me read you a passage. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 to 8. And while this was written to Israel, it applies to our lives as well. Listen to this. This is what he says to you The Lord your God has chosen you. He has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. He's chosen you and he has made you his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who were on the face of the earth, He chose you. It was not because you were more in number than they, than any other people, that the Lord set His love on you. He set His love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. Your worth, your gospel Worth begins at the moment you accept the truth that Jesus loves you. He has chosen you. He has brought you into his kingdom. He has given you value simply because you are a child of God through the work he did on the cross. That's your worth. Nothing else matters. You have to get this truth or your every effort from here on out will be with the intention of earning the approval of Jesus, finding worth in what you do, value in what you do. That is not it. You are a chosen child of God. It doesn't begin with service. It begins with salvation. I'm hopeful that before we take one more step, you get that truth. And so, as I trust you are getting that truth, let's look at a couple of examples that Paul provides for us as someone as two individuals plus one maybe that that actually understood that truth and then lived it out as a result of the worth that Jesus Christ has given them in him. First let's look through the life of Timothy. Timothy's proven worth. We're going to race through this, okay? Timothy's proven worth says this, that no one, Paul says, no one was like him. I have no one like Paul. And then what this means is, Paul, or Timothy, is like sold to me. And so there is no other individual on the face of the earth that is more like me than Timothy. We are of like soul. He says of Timothy, the, Timothy that he is selfish and he has genuine concern for others. Look at verse 20. He is selfless, and he has a genuine concern for others. It sounds a whole lot to me like chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, where Paul says that we're not to do anything with selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves. Verse 4 says that we are to look, let each one of us look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is the Apostle Paul, selfless with his genuine concern for others. Verses 21 and 22 say this of Timothy, He is a seeker of the interests of Jesus Christ. Timothy's proven worth. Others were using Christ as a means for personal gain. If you think back to chapter 1, Paul says there are those that are preaching in such a way to fulfill their own selfish ambitions. They were out for themselves, not for the interests of Christ. And so i want to ask you a question. As you have received the person of Jesus Christ and He has given you His value, how are you, how are we guilty of using Jesus for our own personal gain? Think about that. Timothy was a seeker of the interest of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, there are those that claim Christ that are using Christ for their own selfish and personal gain. Wendy and I have a dear friend. I shared this on Wednesday night. Wonderful time with, uh, with those that came to be a part of our Thanksgiving Eve service. Her prayer life, this woman's prayer life, um, she was with Wendy um, when Wendy's late husband was, he died in the line of duty, which really rocked an entire community. But here we are, 20 plus years later, and she shared with us that she hasn't prayed for a year. Well, why haven't you prayed for a year? Well, if God is sovereign, he's going to do what he wants anyway. And in that moment, In that moment, she was exposed. My prayer life consists of asking God to do things for me, and when He doesn't do them the way I want, asking Christ to deliver for me what is based on my own selfish interest. How about you? How about you? Seeker of the interests of Jesus Christ first or your own? How are you using Jesus inappropriately? Verse 22 also says that, that Timothy was a servant with him in the gospel. Imagine now you're Timothy for a moment. You've just heard your spiritual father declare all of these things about you. Man. That is amazing. Imagine your Timothy and Paul is saying that about you. Man, there is no one like him. We are lo- we are so much alike that I call us like-souled. He says that about you. You are selfless in your motivations. You are about the interest of Christ. How incredible would that be to hear the Apostle Paul say that about you? That's a reminder to me that we must praise those that we find under us. Parents, if you are clearly a parent, then it's on you to be praising your kids and letting them know how valued they are to you. Paul is saying Timothy is a living example of, of the first two chapters of this book. That's Timothy. Now let's take a look at Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. Paul calls him his fellow worker. Cost of following the, the cost of following Jesus Paul, is what Paul is saying here when he calls him a worker. He's a fellow worker, which, which takes me back to Luke chapter 9, verse 62. No one puts his hand to the plow and looks back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Epaphroditus was someone that Paul said he put his hand to the plow of ministry and he said, I'm going to get after it and I'm not going to be concerned with what lies behind. I'm going to strain forward to what lies ahead, what Jesus Christ has laid before me. I'm going to take the plow and I'm going to get moving. What is in the past, what is in your past that tempts you to look back and forget what is ahead that Christ has laid before you? Fellow worker. For me, church, it's past failures, it's selfishness I see when I look in the past. These things that distract me from the things that Christ has placed before me. Here's what I know. If you sat with the Apostle Paul long enough, you would have heard things like this. Hey, remember Moses? God called him to lead a stiff-necked people. they are going to be a handful for you, but I'm asking you to lead them. What about Abraham. Hey, Timothy and Epaphroditus, Abraham was called to lay his life down, to to lay his son's life down, to sacrifice him. When it comes to relationship with Jesus Christ, he's going to ask you to do some really, really hard things. Hey, what about Jonah? A prophet was told to go to an evil people, your enemy, and call them to repentance. That's what he told Jonah to do. Jesus, when you come into a relationship with Him, He's going to ask you to do some really hard things. What about Jeremiah, the weeping prophet? God said to him, I'm going to tell you, I'm asking you right now, you're going to go and declare me to a people that will not listen. And Jeremiah says, well, how long am I supposed to do that? You're going to do that. That's what you're going to do. Don't worry about how long I'm asking you to go and declare me to a people that are not going to listen to you. The cost of following Jesus is high. And Paul says of Epaphroditus, he is my fellow worker. He also calls him fellow soldier. In 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4, Paul says to Timothy, suffer as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. This means singular purpose, singular purpose focus fellow soldier means you are crystal clear in what God is calling you to do and there is nothing that steals your focus and your attention on what he has for you civilian pursuits what are the civilian pursuits that are a distraction to you in what Christ is calling you to do for him i go back to the original list for me it's my appearance it's personal achievement in ministry it's really hard it's really hard. It's hard personal achievement. We, I, I don't believe those who are in pastoral ministry or elders leading a church, we're not going to see the fruit of what Christ had called us to until we get to heaven. Because we can't know the hearts of the individuals that sit in the life of our church. That's a hard one. The Apostle Paul calls him a messenger and a minister. He was... He was, Epaphroditus, was the messenger and minister from the Philippian church delivering messages and goods to Paul on their behalf. Delivering news for the church. Minister remaining committed to taking care of Paul and his needs. Now think about about if you're the Apostle Paul. You're sitting alone. Yeah, Timothy was there. But now, you have Epaphroditus coming. I wonder if the Apostle Paul was happy to see him. I bet he was, because of what he just said about who Epaphroditus was. I bet he was very happy to see him. And so let me ask you this question. Messenger and minister, I've asked you this before. Are you the type of person that people like to see coming? Or are you the type of person that people like to see going? Going? If you're the person that people like to to see coming, then you have the heart of a messenger and a minister for the sake of Jesus Christ. If you're a person that people like to see going, you have some changes to make. Because you should want people to be happy to see you. Epaphroditus is a living example of chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. Hey, Last week we were challenged with doing everything without grumbling or arguing and being a light that shines in the midst of the darkness of a crooked generation and twisted generation. If anyone had reason to grumble and complain, it would be Epaphroditus, and here's why. His name means favored by Aphrodite. Aphrodite was the female god of love. Now men, do you want to be named after the goddess of love, passion, and procreation, I put myself in Epaphroditus' shoes. and a, he, he never changed his name once he came into relationship with Jesus Christ because his name meant nothing to him. His standing before Christ and in Christ is what meant everything to him. So he wasn't put off by the name he was given. He could have grumbled and complained about that, but he didn't. His ministry to Paul. Along the way somewhere, he developed a sickness. He contracted a sickness. That nearly put him to death. It's interesting to me that the Apostle Paul was able to heal others, but he didn't heal, he wasn't able to heal Epaphroditus. Reasons to grumble. Come on, God. Come on, God. Paul, Paul healed others, let him heal me. But he didn't grumble and complain. Paul says, Honor such men. Honor such people that are willing to give their lives for the sake of your message. Timothy and Epaphroditus, wonderful examples for us to look at. Now, let me remind you of something. These two are not the champion of their own story. They're not the champion of Paul's story. Jesus Christ is the champion. But these are clear examples of two men that lived their lives in a manner manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, that brings us to a third one. Through the life of, and you'll see there's a blank there. Now, I want you to fill in that blank. Paul has just praised Timothy and Epaphroditus to us. These guys are clear examples of how you should live your life. They have received the person of Jesus Christ... And now they're living and they're serving on his behalf. They're not dependent. Their worth is not dependent on their service. Their worth is dependent on their salvation. And as a result of their salvation, they're serving God with all their might. And now we have the opportunity to consider. Who else in your life would you put in that blank? Through the life of? Who would you put in there? A parent, a spiritual leader, a teacher, a college professor, a dear friend, a pastor. Who would you put in there? Now, let me get really, really personal as time is definitely waning now. Would the Apostle Paul say to you, say of you, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send To you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like, fill in your name. I have no one like, fill in the blank, who serves like this person does. I have no one like this that's willing to give his or her life for the sake of the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Could he put your name in there, is the real question. If not, why? As you consider the life of Timothy and the life of Epaphroditus, as Paul has spelled it out in just a few verses, where is it that your life doesn't match where their life does? And I would say it's time to make some changes. Where is it that your life does match where theirs is? What Paul would have to say about them. Let me ask you this, and we're going to wrap it up right now. Do you think it's possible to disappoint Jesus? You come in, you've come into a relationship with him. Do you think it's possible to disappoint Jesus? I don't, I don't know how to answer that. But here's what I know. I liken it to a conversation that my brother-in-law had with his son. His son was out of line about something. Doesn't even matter what it was, but he said to his son, son, you, and his son stopped him and said, don't say it. Please don't say it. I don't want to hear it come from your mouth. And his dad knew he didn't want to hear it because they're hard words to hear. Yeah, son, you disappointed me in that. But understand this, when when you come into relationship with Jesus Christ and he is purchased you into his kingdom. He has chosen you and not rejected you. He has not cast you off. He has brought you into relationship with him. There is not a single thing you can do to separate yourself from his love. As a matter of fact, I speak as a father. When my son or sons would step out of line to call them into correction and to let them know they're disappointed, to see that made me love them even more because I desperately want to see them growing and maturing. It's the same thing with Jesus Christ. There are many areas of our lives where we miss it as it relates to what He has called us to do, but there is nothing that changes the love and the compassion and the grace and the mercy that Jesus Christ has for us while He walks us through and fashions us and prunes us To make us look more and more like him and more and more fit and worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, consider Timothy, consider Epaphroditus. What would keep you from putting your name in that blank? And whatever it is, let's commit together to changing that. All right? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I am so, so very thankful that once we are in your kingdom and in relationship with you, there is not a single thing that can do, we can do that will change your love and affection for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that our worth, that our worth is found in our salvation and that our service to you should be a response to that. Lord, I'm thankful for these examples. And I pray, Lord, that as we, as we leave here today, we would know that we are going with you and i pray lord that we would take on the likeness of jesus christ all for your praise and your honor and your glory we pray in jesus name amen